day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. May we give thanks to God, who is our awesome provider, who is our Lord and Savior. In the midst of so much trials and tribulations, we still serve a God whose love is unconditional, whose love never fails. And so may we turn to this loving God with our prayers and may we celebrate and just give thanks to him for being a good God, a God that sees past our faults, sees past our issues, our complexities and loves us unconditionally. The way that we desire to know love that appreciates us and cares for us, even in our most vulnerable moments and times. So let us humbly come to our God and surrender to him and search our hearts and search to see him and to know him today. Join with me. Mighty Father, Lord, we come to you desperate for your presence, desperate for your word. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. In the midst of so much issues that we're dealing with, God, from stress, uh, from financial duress, uh, from health, from medical situations, uh, God, we are in pain and suffering, we're dealing with mourning and grief for, for so many losses in so many diverse ways. Lord, we want healing in our community, healing in our nation. And so, Father, we ask you to begin with us. Start working on our brokenness, start working on our pain and strengthen us that we might be a strength to someone else. Teach us, Lord, how to love like you love, that we might transform our neighborhoods, our community with your great power of love. Father, we're desperate for you. Speak now, Lord, your servants are listening, that we might have your word hidden in our heart, that we might not sin against you. Father, we're desperate that we might see Jesus. In Jesus' great name, Lord, we pray. Amen. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we study our Bible today, we're going to look again on love, the subject matter for uh, this weeks to come, how you might be running on empty. You want to fill up on love. And so today we want to talk about how we ought to love uh, as a response to hate. The solution is love. Uh, we are living in a time that we are taught to be Partisan, we're taught to have identity politics, we're taught to have a sense of everyone is right if you don't, everyone's wrong if you don't agree with me and I'm always right. We live in this, this mentality that there's no middle ground, that there's always extremes in this process. Uh, this is electrocycle is also awakening the, the cause of identity crisis for this democratic government of the United States of America. Political parties and news propaganda are recruiting votes support based on ideas that align with them, but glossing over the hurtful and damage some ideas are doing to the community. The idea that you are not patriotic if you do not vote a certain way or for a certain candidate is very harmful and hurtful to the healing of our community, of our community and our United States government. Love is not limited to those who we only get along with or who we agree with. Love is for all. Love is not by volition. God freely loves us as he rules over the just and the unjust alike. God does not withhold from those who do not love him, and he still gives them life and free choice. The choice is yours to love God with your whole heart. Love will lead you to love your enemies. This is even instructed in Scripture by God to Israel in establishing a social and ethical norms to live in the community together. 
God knows that there will be disagreements, there will be agitators, uh, there will be sinful situations that come up because we are sinful people. And so therefore, he he has given instructions to share us that you should choose to show love in the face of animosity. And so we look at this parallel with our situation now that you are either this or that based on your political alignment, based on how you vote. And there's no middle ground. There's no time of com- a conversation to come into an agreement that you are already automatically labeled and identified by this because of this label. And so we have to be mindful that we need to peel back so much stereotypical labels, so much hatred language and things that are just inflammatory and start really looking at the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is hate. That if we don't address that I I have hate and I hate certain things and it moves me to move and behave in certain ways, then we need to realize that I need to have more love. So if I have love, I won't move to a hateful dis, uh, disposition, but yet I can come to a place where I may disagree with something. I may not in, uh, accept it. But I will act and behave in love. Imagine if we could behave in love more regularly as a more habitual response to things that agitate us and get us angry. This is what God gives them as instruction in the Exodus 23rd chapter, verses 4 to the 5th verse of how they ought to react and deal in love. It says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey, donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it. To him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. And so think about this, that that God is pointing out that even though you may be at odds with one another, it should not hinder you by being empathetic and caring for those who disagree with you. We are living in a time now that we are lacking empathy for those who we disagree with. And so therefore, we would rather see them suffer and see them in pain than see them having benefit and success and trying to help them even when we are able to help them. God is calling us to rise above hatred and animosity and to express and to show love. This law, this rule to live by is even summarized in Proverbs when we look at Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. We're living in a time now that if I hate you, I'll make sure you'll stay hungry. If I hate you, I'll make sure you die of thirst because you don't agree with me serves you right. But that's not what the Bible tells us to do. It continues on in Proverbs 25. It says that for you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. See, when we are kind to those who are hateful and hurtful towards us, the Bible says that's your best revenge, that it will make them feel in such a way that why was I so wrong? Why was I mistreating this person when they have been kind to me? They have been nice to me. But here's the beautiful part is that God will reward you for doing what he's already asked you to do. By just being loving and kind and empathetic, it's going to benefit you in the long run. Love is the best weapon against hate, against our enemies. 
Love weakens the enemy. That's what we got to do. We are to reflect God and be like God because God is love. This love that God shows us is unconditional, is freely given with no cause. Tell tell your neighbor, love is free. Jesus teaches us the efficacy of love in his sermon on the mount. Our text we're going to spend on in Matthew uh, 5th chapter, verses 43 to 48 deals with him talking about loving your enemies. And so in this great uh, eschatological sermon that Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount, this great word of God that he's showing us about how things will come to pass and how we are to accept and bring in and usher in the kingdom. We have opened up with the Beatitudes and, and the blessing, right? And so one way we're ushering the kingdom of God and preparing for the return of Christ is that we start walking out these laws in our daily lives. And so here's what Jesus says to them in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 43 uh, to 48. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. The word of God says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. And so we want to circle around this text that Jesus basically is pointing out that we are to be perfect as our father in heaven is perfect. And, and so when we're looking at that, I want to highlight and point out to this that Jesus is encouraging us to be like our heavenly father. He is showing a relationship here that if you claim to be children of God, then you should reflect God in your behavior and your mannerisms and your ethic and your morality. And if this is not lining up, then you are not walking out as if you are a child of God. That's the challenge as Christians that we must really wrestle with is that how can I claim to be a Christian, but I'm supporting hateful language. I'm supporting separation. I'm important. I'm supporting oppression and maligning and hurting the marginalized because I'm supporting things that benefit me, but hurt other people. We should understand that if we love one another, as God has called us to do, that I am for all the people. And when some other people are being mistreated and being maligned, I'll be willing to speak up on the benefit of these people because that's what Jesus has done. Has not Jesus shown us that he came for the poor, the widow, the broken, the imprisoned? So how much more should we not speak up? For those who seem less and lower in our economic stratosphere, in our economy, in our caste system, right? We allow the rich to get richer and the poor to get prison. We need to change this paradigm and realize that if I succeed, I need to make sure others are successful as well and not blame it on lack of 
work ethics when we see that it's lack of economic progress. And so when we look at first and foremost about loving is how we can see it in our community and it bridges gaps and it bridges social and economical norms to help us to understand that I will make sure that if I see my brother or sister hungry, I will give them something to eat. If I see them thirsty, I will help them. Or if I see them in trouble, I will walk on by, but I will help them and make sure they can get in on their way, even if I disagree with them. And I know that we don't agree on the same subject matter, but yet if I see them in trouble, I will look to benefit them and help them because God has called us to do so. That's why Jesus says love your enemies. It's a command, by the way, that he shows us that not only are we to love one another and loving one another includes loving uh, our enemies. God shows us that his love is limitless. It has no boundaries, that he loves us even when we were against him. And just as you pray for the health of your friends, the Bible shows us you ought to pray uh, for your enemies. Do not allow animosity to get the best of you and move you to act in hate. That you no longer pray for your enemy, but you pray on your enemies. Y'all see the difference here, right? Pray, P-R-A-Y, that I want to bless them. I want to encourage them. But pray on the P-R-E-Y means I want to see harm and pain come upon them. We need to pray and look to help them and bless them as Christ calls us. The, the Bible says you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Even praying for those who want harm to come upon you, even praying for those who wish ill against you. What this does is shifts your heart from having so much animosity, so much hatred, so much stress to say, Lord, bless them and increase them. Because here's what's happening. You're removing that animosity and that hatred that's going to cause stress, that's going to make you have headaches, it's going to make you have pain and suffering while that person is not even worried about you, but you're overly concerned about them. But if you can put them in God's hands and say, Lord, bless them, I pray for their hearts. I pray that they come to know you. I pray for healing and reconciliation. It helps you to change your attitude and not see them with so much hatred and animosity, but see them with love and appreciation and gratitude and realize that our God is truly in control. And so we can change this methodology in our brain. We change this habit and realize Jesus manages to show us that love will be able to start a revolution. This command is given is alarming because remember these, he points out to them that this is revolutionary. They, they agree with love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he's pointing out that this is an antithesis, that to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you is revolutionary. And so we can start a revolution by using love as a solution, by not having hate as our weapon, but using love to to really unarm and and make people defenseless when you are being kind. And that was the great precipice behind the civil rights movement to break down the identity and partisan politics and to show that love is going to win out by their peaceful marches and compassion and pouring to one another. It allowed the community to see that when they saw so much vitriol coming in their direction and all they did was show love and restraint and patience. It helped people to understand that how can I be angry at someone who's being so nice and so genteel? 
And so that's when we understand that love will win out because we saw love win out in the civil rights movement. And how much more now we see that love still is need today to defend and hurt the hurting and those who are being hurt and being targeted. That is why Jesus shows us to love like God, because on our own, we will do it all wrong. Let us follow Christ's example in loving our enemies. For that, I want to highlight in Romans 5th chapter, uh, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet still enemies of the cross, Christ died for us. To know that while we were still enemies, God still did a loving act towards us. This loving act, we understand, is this, that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And whomsoever believers shall not perish but have everlasting life. That joy of God's love for us while we were sinners, while we were yet living a rebellious life against his law, while we were not acknowledging him in our lives. But one moment in time, we came to realize that Christ died on the cross for our sins. We came to the moment that I'm, my life is empty without him. But now that I know him, I want to change and live a life that's pleasing and acceptable unto God. This choice has called us to know peace and comfort in the presence of God. But there's people out there that are, are, are not aware of the joy of knowing Jesus and are looking at you to be an example of how they too can find peace in the midst of so much hate. How can they find comfort in the midst of so much discomfort? How can they find joy in the midst of so much stress and pain, and you can let them know that I don't find joy, I don't find peace, I don't find comfort from this world, but it comes from God who is beyond this world and promises he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. So while I'm on this earthly journey, I have troubles, I have trials, I have some tribulations, but I know I have victory in the one who has defeated death and given us eternal life through, hallelujah, the power of defeating the grave and dying on the cross for our sins. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. And that's who we call on. That's who we talk to. And know this too, my child, that Jesus has our names on his lips. He is interceding on our behalf to the Father and saying, Lord, be with them. Lord, forgive them. Lord, cover them. I'm so glad that Jesus is on our side, but yet we need to bow down before him and surrender to him and acknowledge that he is king and he is Lord. And so if he loved us when we were against him, how much more we ought to love him because he's for us. God's love is the one constant thing in our life. Uh, just as uh, we know the sun to rise and the sun to set, uh, we should know that God's love never fails. We know what it means to be loved when we are wrong, uh, when we've been rebellious, when we've been purposefully and willfully arrogant in our decisions, and yet we are able to experience the forgiveness of God's love. Last week we talked about, right, God's love for us, that he forgives much, so therefore we ought to love much. In response to how great our debt is, we should be grateful and show our gratefulness and show our gratitude in how we love him. And so how we love him is how we love one another. God has raised the standard of love. 
love we should seek to raise that standard here in this world. Jesus wants us to be like him, the father. Continue on. It says in verse 45, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. You ought to raise the standard. Don't just love someone because they love you. Don't do something for someone just because they agree with you. Don't just benefit somebody because they agree with you or they're on the same political party with you or they live in the same community with you. That That's the only reason why I would be nice to them, but we'll be mean to somebody else from another neighborhood, from another zip code, from another country, from another region who speak a different language, who looks differently. That's not showing love. That's, again, showing favoritism, prejudices, and big and and pouring into stereotypes and bigotry. We need to understand that we need to break down these silos and separations and love everyone who God has created because who God created is good. So don't be like who you look down upon. He says be better. We need to rise above and show this love. We should not have I just identify with those who are like us and treat them differently because they're like us and treat those those who are different who are not like us. And so how do we prove who we are? How do we prove to people that we are children of God by how we love? Not just who we love, but who we love, how we love. That we not just love those who like like us, but we love those who may disagree with us. It says to love our enemies. Pray for them that persecute us. Jesus teaches how God provides for us. So how much more we are to daily bless. Because look at this situation here, right? He says he allows the sun to rise on the good and the evil, right? He is still providing. He is still allowing them to live. He's still allowing them to prosper in this area. And then he also says that even I bring forth the rain on the just and the unjust. So I'm even allowing your crops to grow. Even though you may not be living right, I'm still blessing you that you may be able to produce and raise your crops. This is the agricultural time, so they need the rain. And so he's pointing out that even those who are not living right, I'm allowing my rain to fall upon him. I want to point out to this that we need to realize that God is the perfect judge, not us. So we don't need to help somebody adjustment. If we see those who are in pain and hurt and they may disagree with us, we are still to love on them and care for them and be with them. And so here's the challenge. How do I show someone that I'm different? By showing love. At all times, not just when it's comfortable, not when it's convenient, but even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's painful, how to show love. Lovers will put yourself last and put others first. It will help you put your emotions to the side. Instead of telling somebody how they have done you wrong, you'll be saying, how can I help you at this moment, at this time, as I see you are in need? Won't use it as a moment and let me, let me, this is why you got in trouble because you're wrong in how you live your life. But this is a moment of time to share them how what love looks like by showing grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness to them. So when we see this, we know that God says greater will be your reward when we show how we are living a life that is pleasing and acceptable to him because God is love. First John 4 and 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Love helps moves us past hurts. Uh, and wrongs. That's what Matthew's telling us to do. So therefore you are to be perfect 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this word perfect does not mean you don't you don't make any mistakes. It will not mean that there's no error. What it means is that you are mature. So we show our maturity. We show our growth. Uh, we show that by how we love. And so the better we are in love, the more mature we are. So mature means that I don't have to have the last word. Mature means I don't have to prove to you I'm right. Mature means I don't have to tell you how wrong you are. Mature means that I will love you. I will care for you. I will protect you. I will serve you. Notice how love is given. Love is not taken. Love is not what can I get, but love is what can I give. That's what Jesus shows us. And when he speaks in John 3, he for God so loved the way he gave. And so we can understand this, right? Then we will give love. We will work towards a solution to fight against hate. Because we want to live that way out. Hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all transgressions. Proverbs 10 and 12. Hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all transgressions. First Peter 4 and 8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter echoes that Proverbs 10 and 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. That's what love would do. We know in 1 Corinthians 13, right, it tells us, well, love is patient, love is kind. We understand that it keeps no account of wrong. That's what love is, because God is love. Love is perfect. Love is beautiful. Love is wonderful. And we are called to be mature and grow in God's love. This is the solution. And so I close with this meditation on Romans fifth chapter. When we look at about what love is, we are to love and, and not hate. So love is helping those who are against us and not nice to us. Love helps us to see good in everyone. God saw our salvation past our sins. God saw our redemption past our bondage and sin. God's love is what holds us and keeps us in times like these. His love is what will change the tide. Change the atmosphere. God's love will heal the broken. Let God use us and show us this love. Romans 8, 35 says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Doesn't mean he no longer loves us. If we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our So the power of love is a power to combat and defeat hate. And may you let God's power move in you to be a great tool and a vessel to combat the hatred that's in our community by you being the weapon of love to defeat our enemy. So Matthew tells us to love our enemies and pray for them who persecute us. 
Let us be like our Heavenly Father and love one another. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for how great is your love towards us. We thank you, God, how you showed us how to love. Father, forgive us the times that we allowed our flesh and our hurt and our pain overwhelm us. But, Father, we're asking for your peace, for your joy, and for your strength to help us to show love, to show kindness, show gentleness, show forgiveness, and show mercy as we care one for another. Help us, Lord, to even love our enemies and care for them and pray for them. Help us to change the tide and change our community because how you're changing us. And Father, Lord, there's someone here who's hurting, Lord. I pray that they can just surrender to you and just say, Jesus, I welcome you into my heart to be my personal Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray that you connect them with their local church to continue to help them to grow and mature to be your child. In Jesus' great name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me. God bless you. Remember, Jesus loves you, and so do I. Until we meet again, God bless you, and may he keep.